Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today, while we both sip a tea or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic. It's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown, the opportunity to chat, because talking is, as the saying goes, just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Saturday, November the 7th, 2020, and my guest today is choreographer, director, teacher and writer Gary Lloyd. Gary started ballroom, disco and Latin American dancing aged six, competing up until he was 13 when he went on to learn ballet, tap, modern and jazz, all the while choreographing his school productions. At 16, Gary trained for two years at Lane Theatre Arts when a chance audition secured his first professional job in Cats. At 21, he spent the year at sea as dance captain for Carnival, followed by a two-year stint in Starlight Express whilst gigging and touring in boy band Access All Areas. Following the split, he began teaching and got the job as dance captain and assistant to take that's choreographer Kim Gavin on Oh What A Night, which toured the world. Gary later headed up the search for S-Club Juniors and ventured into telly, working on American Idol, Pop Idol, The X Factor, The Brits and Royal Variety. In 2005, Gary directed the musical review of Ray Charles, and in 2008, he put together the tour for Thriller, which a year later went into the West End for 11 years. A year ago, he released his first book, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Gary Lloyd. Hello. Morning, Shireen. How are you? It's so good to see you. You too. It's been a long time. How how many years has it been? Oh, was it 2012? Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> the it being Jack and the Beanstalk in Southampton. And you were the choreographer. I was, it? yes. And a very, very lovely and, as I was saying to you earlier, mild-tempered choreographer, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a great team that year, so... Well, you know, it's lovely to touch base with you. So um, before we get into our chat, what beverage do you have today? I have a tea and a tonic. I love it. And is this the dancer in you? Um, no, it's the Libran in me that couldn't make a decision between the two. <laughs> um, well, I have a licorice tea. Oh, lovely. Um, because apparently it's meant to be good for you. So, Very um, nice. So, cheers. Mind a bit. Mine is a builder's brew. <laughs> I'm going to be giggling all the way through this. Gary, if we um, take it back to the beginning... You are obviously uh, renowned as a now choreographer, director. You started your career as a performer. But where where did the dance bug come from? Did your parents chuck you into dance lessons when you were a child? Were you asking them to go dancing? Were you bouncing around the lounge all the time? Do you know what? It's really interesting doing these these interviews now, and and especially the podcasts that have become, you know, so in vogue and stuff. because a year ago, almost to the day, I, I released a book, which was, which was about Thriller Live. It was about my, my journey and my side of that story. Um, but in that, I, I told a lot of these stories about how I began and what was, you know, all the things that were my inspiration growing up. Um, becoming a dancer, becoming a performer, and then a choreographer and a director. Um, and then this year, not too long after the release of the book, we go into this pandemic and this lockdown and this crazy time 
um, where I've been speaking to a lot of young people and doing the same thing and sort of going back to the beginning um, and telling them my story and, you know, telling them to hang on and trying to inspire them that, you know, the, the, the past three years plus that they've all um, embarked upon hasn't, isn't going to be a waste of time. So here I am again, telling that story. I, I guess I was always that kid um, that was bouncing around up until the age of six. And when I was six, my parents, I remember this so clearly, they sat me down on the kitchen counter um, with my sister and said, you're very clearly musical. We want to do something with that, but we're not sure what that is. Um, and and they, they gave us the option to either go for piano lessons um, or to go ballroom dancing because that's all there was in, in our area. And for the longest time, I had my heart set on these piano lessons, which I think looking back, I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for or even talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad used to wind me up about, oh, if you know, if you play the wrong note, they'll wrap your knuckles with a ruler and it's really strict and you're going to have to be really good and all of this stuff. Um, and at the very last minute, I changed my mind and my poor little sister just had to come along, you know, with whatever I decided. And we both ended up um, ballroom dancing, Latin American, doing the whole ballroom Latin disco old time package. Um, and we did that from I was six um, all the way up to the age of 13, uh, where I kind of hit the level of... Um, not being able to do any more exams. We'd done all the exams. We were up to teaching. We were too young to take the teaching exams. You know, so we competed and we did all of that stuff. And then we moved town and the town that we moved to didn't have any ballroom or Latin American Mm -hmm. opportunities or schools. So we just defected into musical theatre. And so complete, that completely changed the journey and sort of set me off on, on the trajectory that I've, I've been on ever since. That's insane. So, so you could have kept on doing the ballroom in Latin and perhaps gone on and, and been on that dance route. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've watched Strictly for years and I think my mum, you know, secretly watched that and hoped that we'd go on that journey so that we could be on that show. Um, but yeah, it's amazing what life does and it gets in the way, but it doesn't get in the way of, of yeah. destiny. So what was that like then going from the ballroom and Latin training you'd had age 13 to were you then doing the ballet, the jazz, the, the modern, the tap, the contemporary? Yeah, all of that. Um, but at that time, the inspiration, there, there wasn't much inspiration at the very beginning. I mean, we were, we were too young to really know what we were even doing, you know, but we did it and we enjoyed it and it became a thing and, and, we were obviously destined to, to go into that world. Um, but obviously, as, as I got a bit older and MTV kicked in and all of that, you know, that's where Michael Jackson came in. That's where fame came in. You know, I was obsessed with Debbie Allen and being her when I grew up, which, you know, I kind of have done a little bit in a sense. Um, and she's still very much my sort of choreographic idol uh you know so 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 going to do the the, particularly the jazz and the modern and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff was very heavily inspired by what I was seeing on on music videos and Michael and Janet and Mm -hmm. uh, you know Madonna and and all of that stuff 
That's really interesting. And what was it like technically for you learning a new dance form as a teenager? Because, you know, the way the body moves for Latin and ballroom is so different, isn't it, to ballet, tap, modern jazz, contemporary, street. Yeah. It's poles apart. So did you find it a a very easy transition? I I avoided the ballet for the longest time, if I'm being perfectly honest, Um, (laughs) as most of the boys did, actually. Um, And where where I'd come from, the disco part of the, the... school where I was at we we were very much instrumental in in choreographing a lot of our own stuff and so we were creating routines that were based on things that we'd seen on fame and uh, you know on on music videos Michael Jackson all the rest of it um so what has become freestyle these days we we didn't really do that we we sort of did our own version of disco which in essence was what now is called commercial you know so um, that jump wasn't too big for me because I was already fantasizing in that world anyway. So it, it was a joy and, and it, it will sound a bit cheesy, but because this is all I've ever done and this is all I've ever loved to do, um, I just jumped in feet first and, and loved it. And, would do, you know, I was doing all the school productions and choreographing those and I was just that annoying kid that lived to dance, you know, and I didn't really care what anybody thought about me I didn't care what anybody said about me I was on my journey and that was it so I I love it so much I I love it when I talk to people on this podcast like yourself about that that sheer dogged determination and knowing so early on that that was what you were going to do and some guys oh I kind of I just think it's it's lovely and refreshing and and I I admire the passion so did you know you were good? Because you went to Lane Theatre Arts at 16, yes. which is yes. super young. I mean, you yeah. were still a baby. And I mean that with the greatest of respect. So did you know, yeah, I- I'm good. I could be better and I can hone my skill. Or, or is that something as a, as a kid, as a teenager, that you don't really think about? Um, I... I think when, you know, you, you're in a local school and you're one of the only boys, um, you, you tend to get pushed, you tend to get used a lot. And yeah, yeah, I was good. I knew I was good. We did a lot of competing. And so we saw in different regions, you know, the, the talent from all over. And we, and we did win a lot of, of stuff. Um, but going to college was, I agree with you, I, I was very young and I think I was too young. Mm-hmm. because I was a big fish in a small pond mm-hmm. and I went to a college where it was very much that you know that Lane and Betty Lane is is renowned for teaching you how to survive in the industry and she does that from day one um, and I think I found that side of things not the training I love the training and I, I you know I, I soaked up every minute of that but the political side if you can call it that and the side of sort of tough love and teaching you what the business is really like and how you, you know, you can try your hardest and still get rejected and you can still win something, but still get slated for it. You know, a a lot of that went on and I, I couldn't get my head around it. So I think I could probably have done with going a bit later. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm not sure I would have had the patience to wait another two years, but um, I think emotionally and mentally I, I could have done with leaving it a year or two. Um, it hasn't done me any harm, but I do look back at the training side of things and think, do you know what? I, I was a little bit immature and, and should have probably waited a bit. Do you remember your audition for Lanes, Gary? Because that's a tough school to get into. Was the audition round, was it hard? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was so bold at that age. I think I was a lot braver than I am now. And, you know, you, you, you go and you do a ballet class and then you have to, you sing a song and you take your own um, modern or jazz routine. And I choreographed my own routine. I did a brand new routine just for the audition. It was um, another part of me, Michael Jackson, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is a lovely part of that story. Um, and I sang Close Every Door because I just played Joseph in our youth theatre production of Joseph. So all of that was quite easy to put together. Um, when it came to the ballet, uh, I was with a different teacher at this time. And when we did ballet class, I used to go to the shop and buy everybody chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so we do the rehearsals and we do the jazz and we do all the stuff that I enjoyed. And then when it got to ballet, I'd say, right, who wants anything from the shop? And I'd go to the shop. Um, but when the forms came through for Lane, I just looked down the forms and saw, oh, elementary ballet. Yeah, elementary means easy. I'll just put that. Not realising what elementary actually meant in terms mm-hmm. of a grade. So when we were in the room, there must have been about 20, 30 boys in this room. And she looked down at, at all the forms, saw that I was elementary ballet, which was actually quite advanced for a 15-year-old. Very she pulled advanced. me to the front to oh. do all of the floor work. Um, so I made a bit of a show of myself. Uh, but it, it obviously can't have been that bad because I got in. <laughs> right. You know, for elementary is a really, really high level of ballet and not that many people hit elementary level at 15. I mean, not when I was younger anyway, perhaps more so now. Um, you had some, that, that must have taken like, com- you know, real confidence and, and gumption. Yeah, or, or just utter naivety. <laughs> um, it's so funny you saying about going to the, buying chocolate for everyone at ballet. I need to, I, I need to share this. Um, <laughs> So, you know, Lindsay Reed, who um, yeah. you know, and who she taught me... was in my me, year at Lane. Was in your year at Lane, previous guest on this podcast, and she taught me jazz when I was younger for years, uh, which I loved. But I well, didn't love ballet as much doing it myself. I didn't have the right body shape. I, I was very uncomfortable. Anyway, in between ballet and I think modern class on a Friday... We were free from about 6 p.m. in the evening till about 7, 7.30. We used to walk to the fish and chip shop down the road in Bedford Place in Southampton. And they used to be doing fried Mars bars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the ones in batter. I used to go and, have, used to go and buy one of those in between classes. Why not? Why not? I should, my mum never knew. She still doesn't know to this day. I, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. So when you went to Lanes, Gary, you went away from home for the next three years. I did. I did. I, well, I, I did two years. I left at the end of my second year. I was a naughty boy. Okay. And was that because they asked you to leave or was that because you had a job coming No, I, I, I got a job. I, a lot of my best 
friends were in the year above. So I, I hang out with them. I think I was living with a couple of them at the time and they were all going to this Cats audition. It was an open audition for Cats. Um, and my friend Sarah just, she dragged me out of bed and she said, you're coming. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why she thought that that would be appropriate that a second year should go to an open audition for Cats. But I went, I got it um, and I did it. You know, I, I just made the decision that, um, as, as, as most students probably would at that age, um, God, if I don't do this now, I'll never get it again. And, you know, you think it's the end of the world and, and all that. So, yeah, I, I, I left. And, and Cats became my third and fourth year of training because, you know, they, they, being in that show really sorted me out. We did ballet class every day. Um, and obviously the level of work in that show was just phenomenal. So to go from Lane and the level of work that goes on there into Cats, it was the perfect transition. And actually looking back at my journey, it was the right thing to happen at me, happen to me at that time. Cats was one of the first shows I saw as a kid live. The level of technique required for that show, it's massive, isn't it? It is. It is. And yeah. I mean, what, so that was your first professional job? It was. And I, you know, I, I, I went through that audition not expecting to get a recall, not expecting to get the job, not even sure if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, I was just very much there and very much in the moment. And this, you know, this is something I look back on now. And, and I've, you know, I've lost that, that quality because as, as you get older and you, you, you know, you gain more responsibility and commitment and you get a mortgage and you have children and, and a dog and, you know, lots of work and, and all the rest of it. Um, you kind of lose that sense of wonder and that ability to just turn up and be. And this is one thing that I, I say to, you know, I've been, been talking to a lot of graduates and undergraduates or soon to be graduates um, this year, just in the lockdown period with coaching and, and various classes that I've been doing. And that's the one thing I say to them. It's very difficult for them to drop that social media, to put that phone down, turn it off and, and be able to leave it um, switched off in their minds. You know, they're, they're so locked into this world where even when they're asleep, there's stuff going on. Um, and we didn't have that. And I'm so pleased because it gave me, not having any of that pressure, gave me the ability to go into a room and be whoever I wanted to be. And I think that's why I got the job. Yeah. I just danced, you know, I went in there, I learned the choreography, I loved it, I performed it. And I think that that sense of freedom, along with, with the talent and, and the performance element, um, is what got me the job, you know. And I, I think there's a lot to, to analyse there and a lot to learn from that, mm. even, even myself. Also for me, you know, I think what you said about our minds being cluttered sometimes with social media, when we just put the phone down, switch off, forget about it, I think there is a lot then less pressure. What happened then after Cats? So you did that for a year, your first professional job, you were about 18, still so young. In fact, myself and Warren Carlyle, who is now a multi-Tony Award winning director, 
um, we'd, he'd left Bird at the same time and we'd both done the same thing. We both left at the end of our second year for whatever reason. Um, and we were both 18 in this show and kind of, you know, the kittens literally um, in this show. And we learned so much from everybody around us. And a lot of those people are still our friends, you know. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Was it daunting, Gary? Yeah, a lot of it was daunting. But again, I was kind of young and stupid and not really. Um, a lot of that, you know, the stuff that was daunting, a lot of it bounced off. Mm. And, you know, again, I come back to that. I wish I, wish I could let stuff bounce off me a bit more these days um, because we just loved life. We loved being there. We soaked up every second of being on stage and the social element and all the rest of it. And it was fabulous. Oh, it sounds it. It really does. So, okay, what happened after Cats? Were you then needing a job? Were you back on the audition circuit for being a performer? Because I know that you were a performer for a good 10 years before you started getting into professional choreography, even though you'd been doing that as a youngster as well. Um, How did that all manifest? Uh, I I was in Cats for close to two years, I think. Um, and you know, with these big shows, especially the big dance shows where there's a lot of injury and a lot of things go on, you never really leave. So I remember sort of coming away from the show and then getting the phone call. Oh, can you come back and cover for this? Can you do this? Can you learn that? Um, so there was a bit of that that went on and then I came out of the show and as you say, went on the audition circuit and a friend of mine was coming out of lane actually. And she was down to about the fifth or sixth recall for this cruise ship that she was very excited about. Um, and I had an audition for Les Mis in the morning and she, she'd gone to this recall and I went to meet her at Danceworks. Um, and they, they were desperate for boys and they said, would you come in? I had my book with me. They said, would you come in and sing? We can see that you've just come out of cats. So we don't need to see you dance. Uh, it was Royal Caribbean. And um, so I sang for them and they literally offered me and her the job on the spot. And it was four months away in the Caribbean. And we just looked at each other and said, okay, let's do it. Um, my body was totally broken from being in cats for two years. So I thought we'll, we'll have a little holiday. Um, and that was the start of actually the start of my choreographing career because when I got there, we, we got into rehearsal. It was a brand new ship. It was a brand new show or set of shows. Um, and I was made, uh, appointed the dance captain. And when we finally got on the ship, the producer sat and watched the shows and there was a bunch of stuff that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. And the choreographer at the time was going off to work with Liza Minnelli in Vegas, as you do. Um, And so there was nobody to kind of rework or change or cut any of this choreography. So he just looked at me and he said, well, you're the dance captain. You've got three days. I'll be back. This, 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 and this all needs to be different. Um, So I did. Ended up working for that company for a year, um, assisting and choreographing and auditioning and, you know, getting off in LA and Miami and having this wonderful time sort of, part-time on the ship and part-time working with you know a big American company putting shows together which was again a fantastic experience gosh and seeing lots of the world at the same time yeah oh (laughs) you were living what a 19 year old's dream 
No, I was, what was I? I turned 21 um, and only realised that I turned 21 because we were in, in an all-night rehearsal for one of these changes and it was 3am and I just looked at my, my watch and thought, it's my 21st birthday and nobody knows, but I, I had to crack on and just get this stuff done, you know, it was work, work, work. Um, yeah, so that's how I celebrated my 21st. Oh my God. And was that a fabulous grounding for you in terms of being a creative and hitting deadlines? Because I hear that working on cruise ships is a brilliant foundation for careers because you have to be good or you're out. Um, did you find that, that it was just throwing you in at the deep end and you, and you had to sink or swim? Yeah, and I had to grow up very quickly. I, I remember one of the um, associates who was, I mean, he used to dance with, the, um, with Gregory Hines and his brother Maurice, who I met in LA. Um, and I remember him sitting me down one day and just saying, right, you've, you've now got, and I've, I've done this with so many of my dance captains, um, you've, you've now got to make that choice. You are obviously going to go into choreographing and directing, but you have to now be the responsible one. You've got to be the one up front, um, the authoritarian. You've got to find that balance between telling people what to do and keeping them in line, but also you've got to perform with them at the same time. And so it was a very young age to be, to be learning that level of responsibility and finding that balance. Um, so I, I learned a lot in that respect. Uh, and that's, you know, that's really seen me in good stead c- coming out of that situation and, and moving forward. Was it at that point then that you decided, right, I'm going to stick to choreographing? No, I was probably about eight years old when I started writing scripts. I know. Um, <laughs> just looking at your face. <laughs> yeah, and I, I used to, I, I didn't go out. I didn't play football. I didn't really, until I was a teenager, I didn't really hang out with anybody or play out that much, you know, I was on the landing outside my bedroom choreographing routines and it sounds really sad, but that's what I did. And I wore out the the Footloose album and the Fame album and, you know, so many records because that, that it's obviously in my blood. I'm obviously doing what I was meant to do. And I've, I've always been very, very grateful that I've found that at at such an early age. Um, And I've been able to, to, chase that dream and and see it fully realized you know there's not a day goes by where I don't you know thank the universe for allowing this to happen do your parents not remind you all the time now Gary you know it's thanks to us that we sat you down on the kitchen counter age six yeah I don't know I think it's just it's always been in the family it was just a given um so it's uh, we just sort of take it for granted that that was always going to happen and it happened and this is what we do. So what happened after um, Carnival then and, you know, cruising and doing all of that? I guess you were meeting a lot of new people as well, networking, being able to, to travel the world. Um, did you come off that job and jump straight into another one? I did, I, I did the, the ship experience for a year, um, which considering what, all that I was doing isn't actually that long. Um, and, you know, strangely, the, the guy who replaced me in the show 
went on to choreograph and become really big in that company, um, which was really lovely to see. But for me, I think being on the ship, I started to get itchy feet. I, I, I didn't like to stick around. Well, it, it felt at the time like I didn't like to stick around for too long, but I did, I did Cats for two years. I did the ship for a year. I went on to do Starlight Express for, for two years. And I think if you said that to, to any of these kids nowadays, they would just look at you like, oh my God, that's an eternity. You know, they're, they're just looking to bounce from job to job most of the time. Whereas back then on, on these long runners, you know, two years was actually quite short. Yeah. So that, that was the next thing. You know, I, I was very much in touch with Simon Lee, who was um, my musical director on Cats. And he'd gone on to be the MD for Starlight. And we were chatting and he said, oh, we've got auditions coming up. We've got a new contract coming up. You must come in and see us. So, you know, that, that always reminds me of the, it's not what you know, it's who you know and how the contacts and looking after your relationships with people is very important. Another thing that, you know, I constantly say to, to students and, and young people is, you know, once you leave a job, you don't leave any of it behind because mm. your reputation is left behind and everybody remembers you for how you were and how you worked and how you were to work with, you know. So um, that phone call was much appreciated. I did the audition. Um, on skates? Did you have to do it on skates? The, the whole skate school thing, yeah. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it, actually. And I think getting into the show, you sort of realise that you've, you've learnt this, this life skill. Mm. Even though it's a fun life skill, you've learnt something that you're never going to not be able to do. And now I can take my son skating, mm. really show him how to do it. And that's lovely. Oh, and is he really impressed? Yeah, I mean, he's a daredevil and he's fantastic <laughs> at everything. But yeah, he, he loves that I can do that with him, you know. That is lovely. My um, previous guest actually was in Starlight for 10 years, Dawn Buckland. Oh, and, Dawn. And um, just raved about that time, Gary, about yeah. what a fabulous team you all were, how close everyone was. It was like a family yeah. unit. You all had each other's backs and just said, you know, really, it was, quote, the best days of her life. She was living her best life. She said it was just fabulous. Yeah, I didn't realise she'd done it for 10 years. She, um, Dawn was in the show for the two years that I was there. And we're really close friends. She lives literally around the corner from me. Oh um, and it's, it's really interesting actually seeing um, that Starlight community just over the past few months, actually, looking, you know, on Facebook mainly, just how everybody looks out for each other. Um, and just with everything that's been going on, not just with COVID, but with the whole Black Lives Matter thing and just... Mm -hmm you know, we are really checking in with one another. And, you know, that does happen on, on certain shows. And Starlight, again, because it was one of those long runners, and some people, they stuck with it, you know, for 10. Sometimes, I think there were people that were in it from the beginning that, that came and went. Um, and it's a big, big part of people's lives. I'm not sure there is any other industry like yours where you form these amazingly close friendships that endure the test of time it just it makes my heart warm and melt um how did it make you feel when you're on stage performing because you've done some choreography you're back performing 
does it make you feel alive being on stage performing at this point? Yeah, it was very different to the ship because the ship was, you were a lot closer to the audience or you felt a lot closer to the audience. I was singing, you know, you were doing all these extra bits and pieces where, you know, you'd come out just with your friend and you'd sing a duet. And so it was, you were kind of performing as yourself in a way. And then to go into something like Starlight where you're playing a completely fictitious character and you're on eight wheels and you know you're basically putting your life at risk eight times a week um the 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 whole starlight memory of being on stage a lot of that feels quite surreal now you know the training was was all in all about three months to learn the show and to, to learn how to skate on the set so there was this element of being outside your comfort zone and learning this skill and then adding what what you thought you knew how to do on top of that, which was coordinating the dancing and the singing and, and all the rest of it. And it, it was always a challenge. You always had to be, um, be really alert every time you went on stage. You could never get complacent. You could never, I, I don't know, just let your guard down or because you were always on stage with different people. Um, there were, I think seven male and seven female swings who were always on, Um, you know, so you were always coming, you know, skating past people, different faces every night. So, you know, there there was a real health and safety and a danger element to the show that, that I've not experienced really in anything else. Yeah. I remember in the nineties, Starlight Express was the show to go and watch in the West End. Um, I said to Dawn, my brother got to go and see it. Um, on a school trip and I was just so unbelievably jealous really that he got to go and see it and I didn't and then I I saw it probably a good 10 or 15 years later when it came down south but you know that show in the West End it was up there wasn't it as a a, a real sellout show to go and see hence the long-running time it had and what happened after Starlight then Gary? What happened after Starlight? I have to think about this one. Um, I just I just need to add to that, though, Shireen, that um, when I was at Lanes, we used to come up to Victoria every Saturday. There would be, be a bunch of us, and I would generally be in that bunch, and we would pay the £2. We'd queue up. We'd pay the £2 to stand at the back, mm-hmm. and we'd do that every week. So Starlight and Cats were very much on my list, mm-hmm. you know, going back to that those days of, of doing the modern and the tap and everything and learning more and more about musical theatre, they, they were on the list. So I was ticking off this, oh. this bucket list really, really early on. Um, what happened after Starlight? So during Starlight, I, um, like many people, got into the sort of music, the making music and the songwriting and the producing, mm-hmm. um, and put together a little boy band. So there were three of us in this boy band. <laughs> Did not know about this. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't read the book, have you? No, but I am going to... But I give you my word, I am going to order it today. <laughs> um, yeah, that was very cathartic, actually, writing that book, because, you know, a lot of this stuff you, you, you bury and you think, oh, God, I don't want anybody to know about that. And actually, the older you get, the more you're like, oh, God, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was, it was part of my life. It was a wonderful part of my life. Um, and funnily enough, you know, we, we put this band together... We did a lot of touring. We did a lot of gigs. 
Um, all while we were doing the show, we were, we were all in Starlight. Um, and what was the name of the band, Gary? The band was called Access All Areas. Oh! Yeah, saucy. <laughs> yeah, and it was that. with Daryl Paul and, and Gary Forbes, who are both still performing and both, you know, still doing amazing things. Um, and we wrote all our own material and we were managed by my best friend, Keith Cox, who is still a music manager now. And um, we toured with Anton Deck when they were PJ and Duncan. Get out. <laughs> we toured with Peter Andre. We toured with the Spice Girls. We, we, were the, we were the number one touring act never to get a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> What is it they say? It's all in the journey yeah, rather than, you know. We got very close. Um, we got very close. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, d- doing that slog and putting that work in and traveling, we used to, I mean, we used to travel for hours and hours and hours to go and do a, a gig in Newcastle to then drive back to then, you know, do the show. And so we'd be doing Starlight Express at the same time and then recording. Um, but I loved it. And in every show that I was in, I was always doing something else, whether it was the recording or I would be teaching where I'd be honing the choreography, you know, working on my style. Um, so I was never one to sort of lay in bed all day and then get up at four and go do the show and then drink mm. all night and, and get on that, that um, treadmill. Mm. Um, and the band was very much part of that, whole thing and you know wanting to do something new wanting to do something different and you know performing in a different way and, and but it's very grueling and and it took its toll and we ended up kind of leaving the show and then breaking up as a band because it became too much you know as it does for many people but again you know being able to have that experience and look back and give you know good grounded advice to people that want to get into that game mm you know, I'm just thankful that I've had that experience and I'm able to pass that on, you know. You've got so much experience. It's it's incredible. I'm going to speed up a bit because we could chat for probably three hours. You're only in the mid-90s, Sheree. <laughs> you know, I reckon I saw you perform as Access All Areas because I was always at some gig or some... You did every roadshow going did up you and do down pa- the country. Did you do Power in the Park? Probably. I reckon I saw you because I remember going to also a gig at like Portsmouth, I think it was Portsmouth Guild Hall or Portsmouth Pyramids where there was PJ and Duncan and Billy Piper and Louise Nerding. And I reckon I definitely saw an Access All Areas. Um, That'd be us. Yeah, it was when all the magazines were really big. So we did the Miz tour and the Sugar tour and Just 17. Used to read Sugar, Just 17, Smash Hits. Yeah. All, All of, of those. Oh, Gary, I would have loved to have been in your band. <laughs> um, so you have worked with so many music artists. It's ridiculous. When did that all start to unfold? You know, you working with artists like Leona Lewis, Jennifer Hudson, Girls Aloud, Kelly Clarkson, Dame Shirley Bassey. Did that come about in the 90s as well? I mean, we still need to talk about, I know you worked on Aspects of Love with the lovely David Essex, Hair the Musical, Fame, Sister Act, Zorro, Joseph. 
did that all unfold simultaneously at the same time? Did, did the music artists come first? Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't unfold at the same time. And actually following the, the breakup of the band, I went quite heavily into teaching, actually. It was the only, the only period where I've not sort of worked as a choreographer or a director or, or on a project. Um, uh, I, I went and worked solidly at, at the Erdang, actually, when it was still in Covent Garden and really got into the teaching and the nurturing and the coaching, which is something that I'm rediscovering this year. So that kind of takes me back to that period. Um, but while I was doing that, I auditioned for a show called Oh What A Night, which was directed um, by Kim Gavin, who is Take That's creative director. Mm-hmm. Um, and Take That had just split up. So Kim was getting into theatre and doing lots of different projects. Obviously, Take That are now back together. So Kim is, is still working with them. But I went into that show. Um, it was starring Kid Creole. And um, again, you know, I had a, a number of my really, really good friends in it. It was a fabulous show, really feel good. It was, it was set in the 70s. It was all disco music and funk and um again you know I got into the dance captain the assisting the associate I took the show around the world um and I also assisted Kim at the same time I was in the show so we were working with you know on various tv shows and with various artists at the same time I was doing Oh What A Night and then I'd 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 leave the show and, and just be working on it remotely as it were um, and so I, I, I assisted Kim for about five years wow. and at the same time was sort of honing my own thing. Um, and I was sort of discovered, if you like, by Simon Fuller, who was the manager of the Spice Girls and S Club 7 and the creator of Pop Idol. Um, and so while I was working with Kim, um, Nigel Lithgow's wife knew me because I'd done a bit of teaching and a bit of choreographing with her. Uh, and they chose me to head up the search for the S Club Juniors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know how that panned out. And they're yeah. all in their 30s now with children, which is crazy. Um, but that sort of took me into the, the 19 umbrella. And, and I worked on, you know, the original Pop Idol shows and worked in America and over here on the live shows. And... Um, eventually on the beginning of the X Factor. So I was in this sort of TV music industry crossover, um, which, which working with Kim had, had led me into, you know. So I did that for probably about five years, I think. Um, and then I got a phone call from a, a theatre producer who wanted to um, produce a review, a musical review about the, the life and music of Ray Charles. Um, and I didn't know too much about Ray Charles. I know the film had just come out with Jamie Foxx, which is why this producer wanted to do it. Um, but I did know that I needed to do something different. I needed a change. And the thought of being able to get back into theatre was really super attractive. And I, I was actually at the airport leaving to go skiing. I was going on a skiing holiday. Um and um, I just said, yes. I said, yeah, whatever it is, I'll do it. Um, and when I came back, we got into, you know, building that show, which was, again, something that I do. You know, Thriller is a similar format. I've done a couple of other shows that are a similar 
I wouldn't call them jukebox, but they are musical reviews where the vision and, and the devising of the show is coming solely from myself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's not taking a book and, and producing a musical that's already been written. It's creating something new. And Ray was very much that. So um, I worked with that producer for a while and we toured that show in America and in the UK and it, and it, it opened in the West End. You know, so my first musical piece that I directed um, played at the Haymarket in, in London in 2005, which, of course, we went back to with Heathers a couple of years ago. Um, so that, that, was the, that was the change. That was the diversion from um, the commercial world, if you like, back into theatre and ever since then, I've sort of been known as the, the guy that crosses over, that, that has this balance between the two. And for a long time, I had to fight people wanting to put me in a box, you know, producers not wanting to know me because I was a pop guy and, and record companies that thought I was a theatre guy. And I just mm-hmm. really pushed through that um, and just didn't allow anybody to slap any labels on me. And, and now I'm able to balance the two and I'm, I'm sort of celebrated for it, um, which, you know, I'm really pleased that I stuck to my guns and, and just did my thing. Absolutely. It's incredible how you can work in all different mediums. What was that like going into telly, Gary? You know, Pop Idol, X Factor, doing music videos for artists, you know, even TV commercials, things like that. Was it, was it very different than kind of dealing with having a camera there and everything is based around the camera and what the viewers are watching at home? And, and I suppose, you know, the lighting and it's the snapshot that we get, isn't it? I mean, with musical theatre, we get to enjoy that whole experience, but there is a kind of an episodic element to telly. Did you enjoy it? Was it tricky to navigate? Um, I think it was different and that, that's what I liked at the time. You know, every, every job had its own challenge. So I was never able to get bored. I was always having to really dig into, okay, this, this, this is a huge arena or this is a tiny little studio. You know, the artist that I'm working with is super confident or super opinionated or really, really shy. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I think that's where... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very good with people um, and I like to think that I, I put people at ease and I think that's why people like working with me because I can bring the best out of somebody by gauging their personality and changing my approach. Mm-hmm. I don't enforce my way on whoever I'm working with and I think actors and artists and dancers and, you know, just just performers in general really appreciate that i've noticed watching you do your thing with dancers i remember sitting at the side of the rehearsal room on the floor watching when you were going through routines with your dancers for the panto and there was a trust there you just spoke to them like equals you know as though there wasn't a hierarchy almost but there was still this respect. And I remember thinking, oh, do you know, Gary's really approachable. And I, I felt quite nervous about being in a room with lots of big names and big personalities. And you always struck me as somebody that read the room well and 
gauged what different people needed at different times. Have you ever been starstruck? You know, working on such big shows, were there ever moments when you thought, blimey, Riley, I'm going to be working with this artist? Yeah, once. Um, Paul McCartney. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Um, so the kind of the, the music lover side of me, um, you know, I, I listen to music all the time and I love all kinds of music, but be- the Beatles were my were my band. And at the the Jubilee, the Queen's Jubilee, which was the first time any anybody was allowed in her garden. We did this this concert in the garden. Um, and Paul, Sir Paul turned up at the end of the uh, tech day, which was, it was the middle of the afternoon. We'd been going for sort of, de- of a day and a half. And he turned, he was the last person to turn up. So there was this huge, you know, feeling of pressure and, oh my God, he's about to arrive. And, you know, it's a beetle and all the rest of it. But he came on and his piano got pushed on and he, he did the tiniest of sound checks and was like, yep, 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 that's fine. And then just sat there and played songs for about 20 minutes, just purely for fun, for our entertainment. You know, he got us all singing. He was, he was the best. He was brilliant. But then when I got to meet him, I kind of just blurted out my name, shook his hand and like ran off because I I was truly starstruck. And it's the only time it's ever happened, actually. Well, you know, Sir Paul, who can blame you? What did it feel like when the Ray Charles musical opening night and it, you know, it opened in the West End, it's your baby. How did you feel? Um, I think opening nights are very strange for directors. It's never a celebration. It's very nerve wracking and it's very pressured and, you know, not, not even so much about the critics and the reviews and all the rest of it, but it's just that fear of, the worst thing going wrong or, you know, people not liking it. Um, We had, we, we had a few problems actually, which I'm just remembering with illness and, you know, singers and one person had to be fired for whatever reason. It was a producer thing. Um, You know, so we were dealing with a lot during the day and, and having to put on a brave face and, you know, of course it, it, it tends to always go really well. But it's it's never really fun. Mm-hmm. It's the day after opening night that tends to you know be a lot calmer for for all of us that are putting the shows on. Do you feel you have a, a show face? So to your cast, to your dancers, you know, you're smiley and was inside. What you're feeling is is quite different. Well, yeah, because you know when a lot of important people come to these opening nights and you know, the VIPs and the red carpets and all the rest of it, whether it's theatre or cinema or whatever. Um, but you're on show as well, you know, because you're being interviewed, whether it be officially or just by people in conversation and in passing, you know. So you've, you've got to be on. You've got to be ready to perform and, and not look nervous and not show your fears for whatever's going on backstage. So th- th- there's a lot of responsibility um, a lot of a lot of stuff that people don't even imagine that you have to sort of take on your shoulders, and and that varies from project to project. Are you able to just manage the pressure quite well? Is it just something that you have learnt to deal with over the years? Because it, it strikes me, everyone that works in your industry, 
you're all very resilient. Well, I think we thrive on it. You know, I, I, I think the dealing with the responsibility of being a director is, is on par with dealing with the responsibility of being a performer. It's just, it's just placed differently. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember being on stage, um, performing a routine that I'd choreographed, but it was, it was on a Royal variety, which I had worked on with Kim. Kim was the director and I'd choreographed a bunch of stuff, not all of it, but um, I was doing a, a routine of my own. And I remember just thinking, I'm done now. I want to be out there watching this and watching my dancers and hearing that applause for my work rather mm-hmm. than for me. You know, it's a very clear, this is going to be my last performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with Liberty X in 2002. That's how clearly I remember that. And it, if, you, if you were able to watch that performance, I go wrong. I actually fluff a step at the moment that I was having that thought. So when I see that back, I can see the moment where I go wrong. I, I actually leave through the wrong entrance or the, the, the wrong exit and, and do the step on the wrong leg or something. Um, and that's when I was having that moment of, I'm done now. Was that at the London Palladium? I think it was the Palladium. It was part of a big Bond medley. We opened with a Bond medley and it was the BBC and I think Prince Charles was in the audience. Wow. And that was your last ever stage performance? Yeah. And the next time I did a Royal Variety was when I I directed it myself. And it was the first time the Queen had been to a Royal for a long time. So I was very happy about that. (laughs) What amazing moments in your life, Gary, in your career repertoire. So many things, you know, Brits, you worked on Eurovision, three seasons of American Idol, uh, just tons and tons, Queen's Golden Jubilee. We need to get on to Thrill Alive. Yeah. So how did that phone call come about? Because it's a show that's ran for what, a decade? We, we'd done just over 11 years in the West End, but there, there was quite a bit of touring that happened before we went into the lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, the show existed in, in, um, in a different format, really. It, it was put together by Adrian Grant, who was a close friend of Michael's and ran his fan club and is our executive producer. Um, he's just won a Black British Theatre Award for the Best Producer for Thriller this year, which we're all very proud of. Um, and we won Best Musical Production, which we're all very proud of. Um, thank you. But in 2006, he very bravely put on what was a celebration concert for Michael's birthday at the Dominion. He didn't do it at the Lyric. He didn't do it in Hammersmith. He, he chose the Dominion, the biggest barn in, in London's West End. And he filled it with people on stage and he filled the auditorium and he invited every producer going with a view to, to put a show together to take on tour. And they, uh, the guys from Flying Music, who are our producers, they saw it they saw something in it and, and they took it and, and they turned it into a little show. Um, and I was asked to come in 
and basically turn it into the production that we see today, you know, sort of get the finesse and the professional touch, if you like, um, and give it, you know, a bit more of a concept and devise something as we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, and I think, you know, the fact that I was such a big Michael fan and I knew so much about the music and the work and the family and everything was obviously very impressive to Adrian and we, we hit it off straight away. So that was in, I think they, they, they did almost a year of touring and then I came on board and we, we put together a brand new tour in 2008. And then we went into the lyric on January the 2nd, 2009. Oh my goodness me. It's a show I've seen a number of times and loved. Was always astounded how you found the right dancers for the show. What, what, what was that like conducting auditions for Thriller Live? Because you're obviously looking for a particular type of dancer and dancing. Yeah, I, I, it was always very important to me. I knew the show was going to be extremely dance heavy. Um, for obvious reasons, but it's probably more dance heavy because it's me and I've been given this carte blanche golden opportunity to create something around this incredible music. So I, I kind of went for gold and I think the dancers will tell you it's probably gone over the top. Um, it's a tremendously hard show to be in. Um, and it's become a bit of a, a graduate's dream because we have to use young dancers because of the fitness and, you know, everything that they have coming out of college, which is all of that fitness, all of that stamina, all of that willingness to work. Um, and, you know, for the most part, professionalism, um, we need that in the show because it's really, really tough, especially on tour. Um, but it was really important to me, I think having been a dancer and knowing how hard these kids were going to work, that the audience left the show, not only knowing who the principals all were and who the child was and, you know, all the rest of it, um, but they knew the names and faces of each of these dancers that had worked so hard throughout the evening, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then moving on from that, I thought, well, you know, to be able to do that successfully, let's, let's just make the palette of, of the dance team, all really individual. So that, that's the only criteria, really. Obviously, they have to be amazing. <laughs> there are a lot of amazing dancers out there, um, especially nowadays. They're just getting better and better and better. But, and, and again, this is what I'm saying to a lot of these, these kids who ask me, you know, what do I need to do to get into Thriller? Mm -hmm. Well, be comfortable in your own skin know what you're selling, understand your brand, your look. Don't let other people control you. Be, be who you want to be, be authentic because that will come through in your performance. So that, that's what I look for. Did you imagine that Thriller Live would be the success that it, that it has been? It's won awards, loads of nominations, as have you, Gary, for lots of different shows as well as Thriller. Did you think when the seed of the idea was planted, it would be what it has been? I was at the show at the Dominion. I went to see um, that, that first sort of tryout um, 
performance and I remember thinking god that this has got so much potential I really would love to get my hands on it um I didn't go chasing it I didn't know that Fly Music were in the audience who I, I was working with at the time um so that was a natural progression but I just thought this could be this could be really really amazing but then when I started working on it like with most things you become very self-critical and you become very immersed in the producing of the work that you don't think about whether it's going to succeed. You just mm-hmm. think about um, the content and whether it's good enough, you know? And I think we've, we've had that approach for the majority of its lifespan. And it wasn't until the 10th anniversary where we were standing on stage doing our speeches and all the rest of it. Um, that I suddenly thought, you know what, we need to start patting ourselves on the back and, you know, just celebrating what we've done a little bit more because it's, it's amazing. You know, not many people can say that they've, they've, they've spent a decade in the West End with the show. Um, and we've done that through quality control and, you know, self-criticism and constantly trying to improve. And again, you know, slapping back the people who want to put a label on us and said, you shouldn't be in the West End, you're not a proper musical and all of that rubbish. Um, You know, so we've finally learned to appreciate it and look at it and go, do you know what? We are worthy. Mm. People do love it and it does have its place. Um, But we we weren't able to do that for the longest time because we were just um, just so connected to making it the best it could possibly be. It was phenomenal. I mean, I still remember the Dirty Diana scene. I just, I remember it so vividly, it kind of going through me. You know, it's so strong, the music, the dance, the storytelling. If we had longer, we would go on for longer and, and chat about all these different things. I mean, Gary, you were involved in 20th Century Boy, the story of Mark Bolan, who my mother, he was her crush growing yeah. up. And again, the nominations that you have had for Best Director, Choreographer, Carry the Musical, Fame and the 20th Anniversary UK Tour. You know, I grew up watching Fame, the film. And again, another show I absolutely love, Hair the Musical, Aspects of Love. So many, so many things. How has this year been for you? Because obviously we went into lockdown one in March. How did that then change the landscape of work for you? I'm really glad you've asked that, just following, you know, the list that you've you've just read through, because this year has really kind of put, it's put everybody on a level playing field. And again, you know, I keep going back to to what I'm telling um, these young people that I'm, I'm working with, you know, whether you are a struggling student or a billionaire producer, this pandemic has put everybody on a level. And, and I love that. And I think that it's really, you know, it's certainly made me realize what's important in life. And, you know, it's, it's the obvious things, it's family, it's, it's staying healthy, it's staying safe. It's, you know, doing all the things in the house that you want to do and making sure that your garden looks lovely and all of that. You know, we've, we've, we've all dived into um, just trying to be as creative and positive as possible. Mm. But it's, it's made me understand that I'm very good at what I do, but 
and I, I never thought this anyway, but I'm no better than anybody else. And I really hope that there are certain people out there that have had that same life lesson and that experience so that when we do go back into the industry, there's a little bit more tolerance and a little bit more patience and we all slow down a bit and judge a bit less and give a bit more time to people that need it, you know, um, primarily because of our mental health, but also, you know, life is speeding up and it's really unhealthy. And I think if we could go back to the, the good old days where, you know, we're not emailing at midnight or 2am and we, we can just wait a few hours before dealing with that casting issue or, you know, that deadline or whatever it may be. Mm. I think if we can all just, just rein it back a little bit, life will be just a bit nicer, a bit more tolerable. Um, so that, that's what I've got out of these past few months. And I think, you know, all of those credits, all of those awards are wonderful and they're really nice when they happen, but they don't really mean anything. You know, they're a nice nod to the work, nice recognition for the stuff that, you know, all of the passion that you put into what you do, but they're not what's important in life. And was there something that you were working on back in March that then had to be put on pause because of yeah we were in the middle of auditions for heathers so we were doing face-to-face we had done two weeks of face-to-face um vocal and reading auditions uh and then we'd got into the movement calls and on the third second third day of movement calls we all started to feel really not well and i remember sitting there hearing some of these dancers singing and i had about three coats (gasps) on shaking and I spent the next 10 days in bed with the highest fever possible feeling really really ill and I didn't get a test but I think I've probably had corona Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so it, it was really odd obviously that all got halted then all the shows closed and so obviously Thriller was was ongoing so we were working on that in various department and and Heather's was meant to open in May so we've been on this rolling month's notice uh since since March really since we were auditioning so we've we've just about I think got it finally cast Mm -hmm. um ready to go into rehearsal as soon as we are able oh Gary when it comes to casting you were saying earlier that the, the dancers are getting better and better uh, year on in. Do you find that the, the pool of talent for you that you can pick from now is just vast? Yeah, I, I think a lot of these young performers are insanely technical and talented and can do things that, you know, back in the day we may have only dreamed of. But a lot of them are very much in their own heads. So that there's, there's a different, a difference in um, their attitude. There's a different it's difference in their self-esteem and therefore a difference in their performance level. So I've stopped an audition, um, namely one, it, it was a year ago now, unbelievably, but it was the last thriller audition. And I, I just stopped everybody and I said, right, get out of your heads. This isn't a class. This is an audition. You need to compete. Mm-hmm. You need to fight. You all want this job. Um, and I think that's where we are. You know, these, these kids work really, really hard because they know it's competitive. 
So as technicians, they're fantastic. But as performers, um, they need to get out of social media, get out of their heads and, and take that pressure off so that they can just be in that moment. That's brilliant advice. I wish you so much luck with Heather's. It's good to know that there is something there bubbling away that can yeah, it's open. Yeah, it's me going, actually. I think, you know, we've done a lot of self-tape casting. We've done a lot of Zooms. We've done a lot of interviews. And, and it's been a long, drawn-out process. But being able to do that has just kept a glimmer of hope. Mm. Um, and knowing that there is something to work on as, as soon as we're able. I know that you've been doing loads of Zoom teaching and some classes in person before lockdown too. Um, Has that been wonderful, getting back to your core calling of teaching and and nurturing and mentoring and passing on your knowledge? Yeah, I've been working with a lot of um, college uh, soon-to-be graduates, so the class of 21, um, but as well as doing some private stuff uh, with people and... Um, also some younger people I've been going out and doing live masterclasses with younger younger dancers um, and then also some pro classes at base dance studios in London um, all obviously COVID regulated and all the rest of it but I have loved every minute and you know this is this has brought me back to teaching and coaching and speaking and giving back and it's something that I will actually continue now alongside the directing when we do finally go back to whatever becomes the new normal because it's actually very good soul food and it gives me a lot back um, to know that I'm helping my students you know and and people out there and, and that they're all taking something away from from the experience that I've had. I'm waiting for a Gary Lloyd theatre school, dance school, performing arts school to be launched yeah I think that might be a bit too much work but I am working on a project actually which has come out of this this teaching experience um which will be it's going to be a national project um so we're going to be touring up and down the country I can't say too much because we haven't set it up properly yet but um we're going to be touring up and down the country with a team um which is going to enable schools from all backgrounds and all areas to showcase their talent um, and just have the the chance to kind of show each other and celebrate um, what all these talented kids are doing around the country. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to hearing about that. So it brings me to my last two questions. How do you relax and who has been your biggest influence? Okay, I love to cook. So cooking is the only thing that completely switches me off from that voice in my head that's creating or thinking about the next project. Um, and I've, I've discovered gardening this okay. year, yeah. uh, but being stuck out there in lockdown, I've discovered gardening and that has become another thing that has really helped me relax. Um, I think yeah. I would have to say my biggest inspiration um, has got to be Michael Jackson. I think just from the, the, the point of view of the performer, the creator, the producer, the visionary, you know, the, the genius and everything that he sacrificed to do all of those things and to be the icon that he was, I think, you know, from a very early age, that, that's been the one constant thread 
that's taken me from being a six-year-old ballroom dancer to the director of Thrill Alive. That was director, choreographer, teacher and writer Gary Lloyd. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.